now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now pop and open a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, this week's podcast, we're breaking down episode four of Secret Invasion. Plus, we have all the latest news and rumors in Nerdo. And of course, we've got our AEW Weekend Review. Also, if that's not enough show for you, make sure to stop by our Patreon, where you can not only help support our show, but also get bonus content like our Best and Worst of the Week show, which we now have over 30 episodes up on our Patreon. Plus, our top-tier patrons also get bonus episodes and countdowns like our Better Late Than Never review of Black Mirror Season 6 and Worst Star Wars Moments of the Disney Plus Era. So, after the show, make sure to head on down to our show notes and find the link to our patreon or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing nerd show oh and one more thing you can find the amazing nerd show now on threads if you use the social media site make sure to give us a follow to stay up to date with all things a and s that's at amazing nerd show on threads but all right with that said let's get into the news every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in nerdum we're not mild-mannered reporters we're mere podcasters with opinions warning potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead check timestamps to avoid spoilers you have been warned all right up first hollywood shuts down as the actors union votes to strike well with a 97 percent in favor vote after negotiations with the alliance of motion picture and television producers sag aftra has decided to go on strike leaders of sag aftra you know stated that during negotiations it seemed that the amptp showed no genuine signs towards you know actually bargaining an agreement meaning that they probably weren't willing to budge on anything this comes after reports from deadline claiming that the AMPTP are also attempting to actually starve out the Writers Guild by stalling negotiations with the writer's strike into the fall. Um, and clearly they believe that they can actually outlast SAG after at this point as well, as they did nothing to solidify a deal on that front, meaning Hollywood is just shut down and we don't know when it's going to be picking back up. Yeah, I mean, the writing's been on the wall for a long time now. Um, I think everyone pretty much saw this coming. Um, you know, issues like AI and, you know, residuals from streaming uh, are a pretty big deal um, yeah. and have been plaguing, you know, Hollywood for a long time. So uh, I don't think anyone's really surprised by this. There's a lot of people speculating now that the writers and actors are both on strike at the same time, which I feel like I which I believe I heard was the first time in over 60 years that's actually happened. Um, hmm. But a lot of people think that because of that, it might actually force the studio's hands. Um, I mean, here's to hoping that's true. I mean, the writers and actors both obviously deserve to get what they're owed. Um, the fact that, you know, they haven't been getting residuals from these streaming services is absolutely absurd. I mean, recently Matt Damon did an interview um, stating that there's a lot of, you know, actors who, you know, are on the lower end of the totem pole um, who are barely scraping by, um, you know, you know, because of the lack of residuals, um, you know, back in the day, that was a big part of an actor's income, like your everyday working actor. Um, you know, now there's some actors who can't even get health insurance because you have to at least make $26,000 a year. 
um, you know, and without those residuals, I guess it's become tough to, you know, make a living. And I'm sure, you know, writers have it even worse. So, I mean, this is just kind of a, a case of typical greed. So, I mean, this basically sounds like your typical case of, you know, corporate greed at work. Um, and I'm, I, I'm just happy that, you know, the actors and writers are standing up for, you know, what's right and what's theirs. Well, yeah, because I mean, even a fraction of a percent, you know, with all the streaming going on right now with residuals could change their lives. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's insane absolutely. how much they're willing to not give. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These I actors mean, and writers. Back in the day, if you were in a sitcom, you know, and it goes into syndication, you're still seeing a check yearly mm -hmm. or monthly, actually you know, from that, you know, show. Nowadays, you know, these, these you know, series, they go straight to streaming and, you know, the actors aren't seeing anything from it. Um, and the writers also. So it's just absurd, you know. It's a system that needs to be broken and rebuilt properly so everyone can at least make a living nowadays. And now I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, well, you know, come on, these Hollywood actors are, you know, living in mansions and shit like that. It's not really about, like, your megastars. It's more about your everyday working actor, you know. And the writers, they're definitely not out there, you know, living in mansions. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of writers who are working multiple jobs, you know, just to live their dream. Um, it's, it's just absurd to think. So, um, you know, while, you know, someone like Bob Iger, who just literally, you know, <laughs> you know, extended his own contract a couple years, something crazy, like, uh, I think it was like 26 million a year or something. And that's without bonuses, um, you know, is sitting there and judging the actors saying that, you know, they're being ridiculous with their, you know, demands and, you know, unrealistic, um, it's like, wait, what? Like, how dare you, sir? <laughs> Meanwhile, the producer's board is asking, you know, extras to work just one day, get scanned, and then have their likeness, you know, used forever yes. in AI. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe they even, and that's another story that came out, and they brought that to the, like, negotiation table. Yes. I was like, why would you think that was a good idea? Like, how tone deaf are you? <laughs> With AI being such a, like, hot button topic, you know, at the moment, like, why would you think that's a good idea to bring up to actors? You know, I guess maybe they thought like, oh, well, you know, we can work around, you know, these, you know, extras just to shave time off of productions and stuff like that. But you're still screwing over, you know, your working everyday actor, yes. you know, <laughs> who's literally trying to make ends meet being an extra. So hopefully this is the straw that breaks the camel's back and they're forced to go back to, you know, the table and actually negotiate a, a fair deal. Um, because, I mean, the domino effect that this is going to cause in the industry is going to be incredibly substantial to say the least. I mean, actors will no longer be promoting their own like, you know, projects. Um, you know, uh, the Christopher Nolan movie right now, I guess they're, uh, you know, premiering it around the world and like all of the cast just left abruptly. Um, Deadpool 3 shut down today um, and they were definitely trying to race to get as much done as possible uh -huh. before the strike happened. <laughs> Which it, actually, it's not on the agenda. Uh, what did you think of uh, Wolverine's costume? 
Oh, I think it's perfect. It's exactly what I would want from this uh, project going forward. Yes, it looks fantastic, right? Uh, they went mm. with the yellow tiger stripe like we were talking about last week. You know, fingers crossed we were hoping for. Um, but yeah, I mean, we haven't seen a mask yet. I'm assuming we're getting a mask. That would be so disappointing if oh, they just yeah. went with the costume. But, that you know, I can't imagine them doing something like that. They have to give us the mask, um, even if it's just for a couple scenes. Um, yeah, I could just get knocked off or something. It's fine. I saw some people <laughs> bitching that uh, the costume had sleeves on it. I'm fine with it. It is what it is. Bakers can't be choosers. I mean, I think it looks pretty uh, amazing, honestly. So, um, you know, super like comic book accurate, except for the fucking sleeves. But who cares? And there have been instances where Wolverine has had sleeves on his uniform before in the past in the books. So. It's fine. People relax. It's a Deadpool movie. Um, there's going to be tons of damage done to Wolverine. Yes. I'm assuming his outfit's going to get fucked up. Yes. So. <laughs> Hugh Jackman isn't hitting the gym like four times a day not to show off the guns. So he's <laughs> don't worry. We're going to see the gun show from Hugh. Um, but yeah, no, it looks amazing. I'm super stoked for the you know film. But, you know, unfortunately, right now, that's all on pause because of this strike. Um, it is what it is. So hopefully exactly. the actors and the writers get what they're deserved and, you know, fuck the studios. But anyway, moving on, uh, we got a huge casting update for Superman Legacy. It looks like Superman Legacy will be introducing quite a few characters as we got word from Vanity Fair along with Hollywood Reporter of some major castings for the film. Isabella Merced of um, Transformers The Last Night and the upcoming Madam Web film for Sony will actually be playing Hawkgirl in the film. We also have Eddie Gathagy from the Twilight franchise and X-Men First Class who is set to play Mr. Terrific. Um, Nathan Fillion is also back, but he's playing the Green Lantern guy Gardner this time after having played TDK in the Suicide Squad. Um, and lastly, we have Anthony Kerrigan of Barry fame who will be playing Metamorpho, though he is also no stranger to DC projects after having played roles for both Gotham and the Flash TV series. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Metamorpho will actually have a larger role in the film altogether, which this film is slated for July 11th, 2025. So interesting, I didn't see this coming whatsoever. I thought this was gonna be more of an isolated Superman story, yeah. but I'm not mad at it. Now I saw a lot of sites reporting that these are members of the Justice League, but it sounds more like a Justice Society team to me. Um, yeah. You know, so I don't know. We'll see. I like the fact that, like, you know, heroes already exist in this, like, DC universe. So we're not going to be getting tons of, like, origin stories. We don't have to deal with, like, you know, seeing, like, you know, the formation of the Justice League or anything like that. Um, at least that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, so I'm cool with that because, like, everyone knows, you know, the, you know, the brass tacks of it all at this point. <laughs> it's like, just get on with the storytelling. I love the casting of Nathan Fillion as Guy Gardner. Um, Nathan plays a, an amazing douchebag, and that's exactly who Guy Gardner is. I mean, he's probably the biggest douchebag in comics, honestly. <laughs> so um, I don't know, man. I mean, this all sounds great to me. Um, I'm hoping that Superman doesn't get lost in the shuffle, like they don't go too big with the cast. But I mean, these could all be glorified cameos, really. Right. Um, and well, just like kind of a way for the studio to hype up this film. Mm -hmm. I mean, usually I get super concerned about overcrowded cast, but because it's gun and, you know, we've seen him handle such a large cast so well multiple times now and still tell a story with like a strong emotional core. And, you know, that's what a Superman film 
needs, and I'm sure that's what Gunn is going for. So yeah, you're right. I mean, he was able to pull that off with Suicide Squad. Yes. And, and I mean, all the Guardian films. So I'm sure, <laughs> you know, he'll be able to, you know, make that work here. But with that being said, I'm sure this is going to be like the last casting news story that we have for a while, at least for the duration uh, of, you know, the strike, because actors aren't even allowed to audition now. So, um, yeah, you know, we might be we might be kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel when it comes to news stories for the next like month or so. Hopefully not good when it's only that long. But anyway, up next, it looks like we could possibly finally be getting that Alita Battle Angel sequel. Again, James Cameron has teased that he is working on a sequel to Alita Battle Angel. In an interview with Forbes, Cameron admitted to multiple sequels being planned out for Alita Battle Angel, as he mentioned working on Alita and Avatar being amongst the reasons why he's currently selling his home and moving, going as far as to say that Alita films will be worked on in Austin, Texas. No word on how many sequels, but it's crazy to hear that they may be legitimately moving forward with a large franchise all things considered i mean james cameron's definitely not crime poor um but you do have to respect an artist who's willing to dig into his own pockets to you know fund you know passion projects um and we know that he wasn't afraid to do that with avatar mm-hmm. and it sounds like it's going to be more of the case with the lead of battle angel which I, i'm surprised that the studio's aren't more willing to back the project because it was mildly successful right like it didn't yeah. it didn't flop or anything it was like just a barely above i would say i don't think it was like the big hit that you know uh, people the studios probably assumed it could have been but i know it's an effects heavy film oh, and i'm yeah. sure that you know cameron demands you know the best effects possible so i, I i'm sure you know that's kind of like the breaking point for the studio um and if he's willing to, you know, dig into his own pockets to, you know, make this film happen, I mean, good for him. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not the biggest Cameron fan in the world. He's definitely a prickly bastard at times, <laughs> but I can respect putting your money where your mouth. All right, last but not least, it looks like after all these years, we could be possibly getting another sequel to 28 Days Later. Director Danny Boyle and writer Alex Garland have been in talks about making a third installment to the 28 Days Later franchise, as Alex Garland, in an interview with Inverse, recently claimed they may be moving forward with a 28 Years Later film. Boyle also having come out and saying that if Garland isn't interested in directing, that he would gladly step into that role for the film. Now, it isn't clear when this could actually happen, as even, you know, during the interviews that they've had garland claimed things just seem to come in the way of them actually making this film as they brought it up multiple times over the years and you know things just slipped through the cracks so who knows when we'd actually be seeing this but garland has also gone on to say how it would be a much larger film than what we've seen in previous 28 day films yeah i'm really surprised that this hasn't happened sooner um I loved both, you know, 28 days and 28 weeks later. Um, you know, I think both films still hold up. Um, I just recently watched 28 weeks later. I forgot how awesome that movie is. Um, I mean, I think like everyone, I just assumed that they'd be doing like 28 months later. Um, so I'm surprised that they're going to go that like far into the future. Um, but I'm sure that they've got a pretty cool concept, you know, that they're cooking up, you know, as we speak. Um, or already hashed out, um, you know, I mean, I mean, I guess I get it. Like, I mean, Garland is a successful director, you know, in his own right now, 
So um, scheduling and everything like that is probably a huge issue. Um, but I mean, they brought in another director for the sequel in the mm. past, you know, 28 weeks later. So I'm sure, you know, you could just have Boyle and Garland, you know, writing the thing and, you know, find another director to kind of, you know, take the helm, someone that they trust. Um, you know, but if Boyle's willing to direct it, I mean, by all means, let him fucking direct it. <laughs> so it sounds like it's, you know, once again, like Cameron and, you know, Alita Battle Angel, this sounds like a passion project for Boyle. So, um, yeah, I mean, wh why not make this happen, right? Exactly. I mean, they keep, in all their interviews, they keep saying, like, this is a massive project, like something that would be completely overshadowing what they did in 28 Days Later, budget-wise, at least. Uh, so I, I wonder what they would do with that, you know, big of a film. See, just hearing that makes me a little skittish just because of <laughs> Romero and Land of the Dead. Um, mm. Like, that was supposedly, like, a dream project for him, and... I don't know. I don't think it was a case of him biting off more than he could chew, but that film was such a disappointment <laughs> after waiting all those years for a follow-up to, like, you know, his zombie trilogy um, to finally get, you know, that movie. And I just left that theater shaking my head. So I'm going to try not to get my hopes up. Um, not uh. that I consider, you know, 28 Days Later in the same realm of, you know, Romero zombie movies, but... Um, I'm sure there are people out there who do, and, you know, more power to you. But like for me, you know, Romero's where it's at. But both films, you know, 28 Days and 28 Weeks, you know, set a pretty high bar. So, you know, they have a lot to live up to. You know what struck me as interesting, though, like watching 28 Weeks later, I was like, oh, shit, this is pretty much like the premise of The Last of Us. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. You've got the the girl who basically has the cure right mm. <laughs> it's like oh look at that i mean not that like they stole the concept i mean at this point there aren't many like fresh new you know ideas when it comes to the zombie genre we've pretty much seen you know everything you know it has to offer um i mean what the last of us brings to the table is just you know high quality storytelling um, you know, which is evident by all the Emmy nominations that I got this past week. It's like anyone who made like a brief appearance on the show got fucking nominated. It's insane. <laughs> and rightfully so. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the game creators have, you know, obviously come out and said that like they were heavily inspired by yes. all those, you know, zombie experiences before. It so. is what it is, right? Uh. <laughs> I'm not throwing shade at The Last of Us. It just <laughs> struck me because I hadn't seen the movie in so long. It was like, oh, shit, this is pretty much kind of the plot of The Last of Us. So, uh, but yeah, no, I just didn't put it together while I was watching, you know, the series when it was coming, you know, when it was out. Well, quickly, Christian, uh, before we move on, we also got a new trailer for the upcoming Ahsoka series. I bet your master found you difficult at times. Anakin never got to finish my training. I walked away from him, just like I walked away from Sabine. You never made things easy for me. Master. As a Jedi, sometimes you have to make the decision no one else can. But I'm counting on you to see this through. Nice haircut. So this trailer kind of gave us more of a glimpse of, you know, the story we're going to get with this series. Um, namely, you know, the story between Ahsoka and Sabine, uh, which, I don't know, feels like it's kind of coming out of left field. Um it really teases that Sabine might be a Jedi, which, you know, I mean, we saw pictures of her with 
a lightsaber, but I just was kind of assuming that she was just keeping it like safe for Ezra until he returns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we know that she's, you know, wielded, you know, the Darksaber in the past. So it's like, okay. But I mean, from what this trailer makes it sound like is Ahsoka actually trained Sabine. I mean, Sabine's calling her master. So I, I don't know how I feel about Sabine all of a sudden, you know, being like force sensitive and possibly a Jedi. I mean, I'm not convinced that she's force sensitive. I think they're just training her to, you know, use a blade or further. But when when she's calling her master and it's going that deep and you even see a video of Ezra, you know, talking about what it means to be a Jedi, then, yeah, it starts to feel like maybe she's force sensitive. But I I don't know. Because there's nothing in the Rebel series that ever hinted at her actually being a Jedi, right? Not that I remember. You know, and and the, this series is by Filoni, so it is what it is. Maybe mm-hmm. it's something that he always felt like was going to be part of the character's arc, um, and he just wasn't able to pay it off with the animated series. Um, so it is what it is. But it just feels very kind of shoehorned to me. But obviously, I'm going to let it all play out. I mean, Filoni has earned my trust at this point. Um, mm. But there's even that like moment where it looks like Sabine is trying to like actually like use the Force on um, Balin's apprentice to the point where Hati's like even like, mocking her. So um, speaking of which, you know, Balin and Hati look as menacing and you know as badass as ever. Um, they're definitely searching for Thrawn. Um, they brought back the uh, mag- magistrate in the trailer we also see that they're working with the uh, magistrate that ahsoka battled against in uh, the second season of the mandalorian uh, they're accessing some sort of map it's in the middle of that uh rock structure that a lot of people were assuming was the uh, world between worlds mm-hmm. um but i mean we we're kind of speculating otherwise and that seems to be the case here that it's more of some kind of like star map uh, you know, maybe they're searching for the world between worlds, uh, but it's not actually like the access point or anything. Um, we see space whales here, so maybe they're, you know, helping Ahsoka and Sabine on their search for Ezra. That's wild speculation. <laughs> we get a little more of the scene between Hera and Mon Mothma. It seems like Hera's trying to stop a war before it starts. I also found it interesting that Balin seemingly knew Anakin in the past, um, you know, because he mentions him to Ahsoka. So I'm assuming that he might have, you know, fought side by side, you know, with Anakin. Um, And we've heard some like leaked synopsises, like saying that Balin and his apprentice are like uh, Order 66 survivors, um, you know, who've like turned to the dark side, possibly. So, I mean, I guess that all kind of adds up. Um, we get our first real good look at Thrawn here. Um, how did you feel about Thrawn? I thought it was fine. I, is is there a consensus against that? I don't know. <laughs> People are saying he looks like Elon Musk. <laughs> uh, that's just what the actor looks like. I know, like. right? I, I mean, that. it just looks like Lars Mikkelsen, like, painted blue to me. So I, I think yeah. he looks fine. Just because he looks like he's related to Elon Musk doesn't mean that he's blue Elon Musk. It is what it is, right? <laughs> I mean, this is the price you pay when, you know, you go with the voice actors, the original voice actor. So I'm fine with it. I mean, I don't feel like his physical appearance needs to, you know, match up perfectly 
to the animated character. I feel like that's asking a bit much. It, it at least makes more sense to look like this than what they did with the Grand Inquisitor. I mean, with the wider head, it just didn't make sense. <laughs> I was fine with it at the end of the day. They could have added a little deeper, like, ridges, I guess. Uh-huh. So, but I'm fine with his, his the shape of his head not being perfect. It is what it is. I'd rather get, like, the right actor than just have, like, a CGI mess. Uh-huh. So... I'm sure they weren't like, you know, measuring actors' heads like during the auditions for that character. But anyway, speaking of Inquisitors, we do see a bit more of the Inquisitor that Ahsoka's battling against uh, in this trailer. Um, there are a lot of rumors going around, or really just, I think, fans, you know, getting their hopes up that this is going to actually be Starkiller. Have you seen this one? No, I, they, they think it's going to be Starkiller. Yes. So um, I've also seen some people theorize that it could possibly be Barris Offie, um, you know, who we last saw betraying Ahsoka um, in the episode where Ahsoka leaves the Jedi Council. Um, you know, she frames her uh, for the uh, terrorist attack on the uh, Jedi Temple. Um, you know, I, I believe we lose track of that character after that, uh, unless she pops up in some novel that I'm not aware of. Uh, but you know, I could see Barris, you know, becoming an Inquisitor. It's just kind of strange that there's still Inquisitors around at this point, because this is taking place after Return of the Jedi. So the Inquisitors should be pretty much all long gone. But apparently that's not true. I mean, if one survived and wanted to stay with, you know, the Empire's powers, I could see them you know, being just like a good tool for people like Thrawn and stuff to throw out there. Yeah. And I think... You know, once again, I think people are just kind of assuming that, you know, Vader killed all the Inquisitors <laughs> once they outlived their purpose, right, of hunting down the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And that's just because, you know, comics show him literally pretty much destroying all of them every single time that they show up. It would be an interesting story to see, like, Barris and Ahsoka have another confrontation, you know, yeah. after all these years, though. Um, you know, so if that's true, I would definitely look forward to that. But anyway, once again, not to harp on this, but I, I still... Just don't know how I feel about, like, you know, Sabine possibly being a Jedi. Uh, and I hope it, it isn't being done just to kind of play with the parallels between, like, Ahsoka and Sabine and, you know, Balin and, you know, his apprentice. Um, but I guess we'll wait and see. But regardless from the trailers, it definitely sounds like Ahsoka wasn't necessarily the greatest master uh, in the world. As, you know, she mentions that, you know, she abandoned, you know, Sabine just like she kind of left uh, Anakin. I mean, there's definitely some tension there. And I don't know, that that whole relationship dynamic just feels like it's coming out of nowhere. But I mean, years have passed since, you know, the Rebels series. So, I mean, like I said, I've got to let it play out, I guess. Yeah, we don't know what kind of flashbacks we're going to see, what relationships they've had since. Um, I, I, another gripe that I keep having, though, is like, every time I get to know this, you know, the New Republic more and more, I just feel like they deserved the takeover at this point. (laughs) You know, Hera's having to, like, come and explain there's another war coming and no one's taking her seriously. (laughs) They do feel a little inept, right? Like, Uh they weren't really prepared to, like, govern this universe, this galaxy, if you will. Um, Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. I mean, mean, Mandalorian definitely, you know, doesn't really shed the best light no on the new republic <laughs> and it does it feels like this series is, is going to do more of the same but regardless of all my nitpicks i mean this looks pretty fucking amazing um you know and i'm definitely excited for this series uh so you know make sure to tune in as we break down the first two episodes when they premiere august 23rd
And now for the nerds breakdown of episode 4 of Marvel Secret Invasion. Spoilers ahead, you have been warned. President Ritson doesn't find out that the suns come up unless I brief him. I fired Fury. Okay? No, I'm sorry, correction. I DDT'd that dude from the top rope. Yeah, it was like Undertaker level. Really impressive. I don't understand. This week we kick off with a cold opening showing Gaia seemingly dead on the ground after Gravik shot her. Um, we get a flashback to what she did after helping her father with the submarine mission, showing that she also went into the memories of the scientist's actual body to understand what they're making with the Super Scroll machine. And in doing so, she decided to do the experiment on herself, which we then cut back to her body being healed by Extremis. I was surprised by like how surprised people were that Gaia was still alive. Uh, apparently no one watched the trailer because I mean, there are so many scenes that we haven't seen yet with Gaia in it. Uh -huh. And we talked about this last you know podcast, but I, I, I just assumed everyone kind of put that together. Um, but it is what it is. But we actually saw this moment in the trailer with Gaia like standing in the middle of the machine, you know, getting her super scroll on. Um, my question is like, why is the security around this fucking, you know, machine so lax? Like <laughs> <laughs> we've seen in this like scroll military base, like, you know, graphic has like guards pretty much at every door. But for some reason, he just decided not to guard this like super secret machine that he's using to, you know, start an army. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, but it is what it is. Um, now, I'm curious, like, did she give herself all of the powers? Because uh, we only see her use the Extremis, right? We only mm. see her, like, heal up, but we don't see her get all stretchy or anything. I mean, my idea is that she's going to become, like, the big hero in the end and show up to be the one that actually stops Gravik. Um, if if he if she does get on terms with her father. But... And spoilers, we know that's going to be kind of hard to do, um, you know, by the end of this episode. That is, of course, if everything is what it seems. After the two minute long intro, we're back in 2012, where we see Fury meeting up with his wife, Priscilla, for dinner. Showing Fury a newspaper announcing the Avengers saving New York, Priscilla basically asks if, you know, Fury was the one who brought them together. Fury then notices the book she's been reading, in which she claims it's a collection of poems by Raymond Carver, which Priscilla has Fury then help her read out her favorite one called Late Fragment, which is all about feeling beloved or beloved, as they were saying. I mean, I've said it before, I appreciate these scenes. Um, I feel like they really go a long way to adding depth to this relationship, um, which, you know, we're just being introduced to, which all pays off in a pretty heavy scene later on in this episode. We then transition to Priscilla in a church in present day, where Rhodey comes to meet her, clearly being the one who called her at the end of last week's episode. Here, Rhodey takes pride in firing Fury to her and proceeds to give her a mission to actually kill Fury herself. Priscilla attempts to reason with Rhodey, claiming that old age will be the end of Fury soon enough, in which Rhodey threatens her to get the job done. Meanwhile, Nick Fury had her phone bugged and was listening to their entire conversation. This series has gone a long way to really show, like, how everyone kind of just sucks at their job. <laughs> like, this, like, <laughs> scroll doesn't think to, like, check her phone for a bug when her husband is, like, this, you know, master super spy. In turn, this, you know, master super spy ends up falling in love and marrying 
the enemy who's also a spot. Yeah, you would think that, I mean, they have devices that can block signals. Like, that's not even, like, Marvel technology. should that's... just be, like, a given, right? <laughs> uh-huh. That everyone's using that, but it is what it is. Don't let logic get in the way of a good story, right? <laughs> no. Gravik is then seen ordering his men to make their next attack look like the Russians, claiming they don't need to worry about, you know, the mole anymore. All the while, not knowing that Gaia is alive and talking with her father somewhere else. Gaia questions what Talos will do to give his people a home, as Gaia sees more in Gravik's plan than she does in anything that her father might have going on. Talos believes that after saving Earth from Gravik, the UN and the US government will give, you know, the million scrolls that are there amnesty. But this isn't good enough for Gaia as she wants to be, you know, in a home where she doesn't have to disguise herself as a human. And so she walks off after hearing Talos' plan. I gotta agree with Gaia here. I mean, Talos feels like incredibly delusional, right? Like, what would make him think that, you know, humans could actually coexist with this alien race, you know, a million strong on their planet? that have been hiding in plain sight all these years. It just sounds like he doesn't really have any kind of real plan except for, you know, hope. So you can't blame Gaia for being skeptical here. What's hard for me is trying to understand where we are as a, you know, as an MCU universe. Because when I look back at like, you know, Miss Marvel and stuff like that, you know, it's definitely people are, you know, getting gunned down in the streets if they even show a little bit of power. Um, but then, like She-Hulk, it made it seem like the world are getting a little bit more acclimated to the existence of people with powers. But remember, in Miss Marvel, it was a rogue agent, you know, working within damage control. That That's the, the only reason that actually happened. I think it's possible for the aliens to find a home here uh, with how crazy the world's starting to get. But uh, maybe in a few more years, it might, it might take some time, though, to get used to. So I don't think Talos' plan is too I think, out of the realm. I think you're just as crazy as Talos. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you saw the reaction of the one much, soldier though. later on in the episode when they see Talos in his true form. Like, uh-huh. he was about to shoot him dead. <laughs> but he was quick to just turn. When Nick Fury said he's, he's on our side, he, he was quick to be like, okay. Nick Fury. I mean, not everyone has a Nick Fury in their life to say, no, we're good. Okay. <laughs> well, all it takes is one, you know, video call Listen, to the world. I, like, I would like to think we could all coexist peacefully. But, I mean, there's a lot of assholes in the world, Christian. <laughs> uh. Let, let's not be blind to that. In, in this Marvel Universe, especially. So... I don't know. Returning home, Priscilla finds Fury's wedding ring has been, you know, placed back on the counter, but then is shocked to see that Fury is just home, not wearing it. The two sit down at their table and the tension of what's about to go down is in the air as they both know the truth now. Fury laments on how he had to go against all his instincts to love and marry Priscilla, but that he doesn't regret the marriage that they had. The two lay out their weapons on the table as Fury asks her, you know, how she ended up picking the actual Priscilla to copy and replace. She tells the story of how Dr. Priscilla Davis, you know, was dying of a congenial heart defect and didn't want anyone to actually know about it. The scroll Priscilla proceeded to get close and become friends with the doctor to the point where, you know, she decided to be honest with the doctor and tell her the truth of her intentions. Asking her it was okay to assume her identity after she passed. The doctor made her make three promises in order to take her identity, in which Priscilla had to bury her at sea, take care of her parents, 
and then never hurt the man that she planned to fall in love with, that being Fury. Fury asks if Priscilla got what she wanted out of this, which prompts Priscilla to respond with Raymond Carter's poem, and the two recite it together before both taking their guns and firing. Both still having you know, clear love for one another, purposely miss and Fury warns her that Gravik will be coming for her. But before Fury can actually leave, Priscilla asks if Fury would have ever actually loved her in her scroll form, in which Fury claims, I guess we will never know now. So I thought this was a great scene. I mean, it gave me some serious, like, Mr. and Mrs. Smith vibes. Um, I just have some questions, like, timeline-wise. Like, so did Priscilla, she married Fury to get close to him, right? Or did she marry yes. him, you know, out of love? Or, like, a little bit of both? It's both, really. It, like, but she, she definitely picked Priscilla to look like someone that he could easily fall in love with. But how long have they been married? Because when we see I, well, Gravik... Yeah, we don't see the marriage. Like, when we see Gravik... Well, I know I know we don't see the marriage, but, like, when we see Gravik, he's like a kid. So, mm. like, who put her up to marrying Fury? I don't know. Maybe just the council that they had at that time. Cause... But isn't Talos in charge of the council? He's a member. No, as he's we a saw, general. Different... He's a general in the council. Okay, but... I don't know. I don't know who put her up to doing it then. Because that's really my question is like, who put her up to marrying Fury? Like, was it Gravik? You know, because I just assumed that they got married at some point in the 90s. But maybe it was later on when Gravik was older and had grown more resentful of Fury. Um, you know, like, you know, maybe at that point she already had a relationship with him and then, you know, he forced her, you know, or manipulated her into, you know, marrying him to keep a closer eye on Fury. Because otherwise it would feel like it'd be underneath, like, Talos's watch. Unless she did it on her own accord. Um, which I, I guess could make sense. But it just, it feels odd to me. Um, and then you would think, too, like, if she actually cares about him, that, you know, she would be forcing the issue with Fury about you know finding the scrolls a home and maybe she has all these years and we you know something mm. that we haven't seen um you know since th this relationship's up you know completely new to us uh but you know i just have a lot of questions when it comes to this relationship yeah because i mean she assumes that identity a year after we meet gravic so it's I, you have you have good questions here <laughs> so it's just a year after right like when they yeah. meet at the diner yeah okay but we don't know exactly when they get married. So married, that might have yeah. just been like the beginning of the relationship. And I'm just assuming that they got married right away. I don't know. I mean, it still doesn't change the fact that like Fury should have seen this coming. <laughs> I mean, at least he says like he had to go against his own instincts to to make this happen. Like he understands that, yes, this was inevitable. But Yeah, and I did appreciate them having that dialogue in there. You know, so Fury can, in a way, like, save some face. Like, you know, he was so in love that he, like, chose to be kind of blind to her inevitable betrayal. Um, I guess it works, kind of. <laughs> 
We move to Rhodey's hotel, where it seems a female scroll is showering before turning into Rhodey. Coming into the living room, Rhodey finds Fury has broken in and is waiting with a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle's family reserve. Rhodey is, of course, hesitant to drink with Fury and question why he's there. Fury, playing along, tries to warn Rhodey of a scroll mole close to the president, but they both know he means Rhodey. Fury then proposes Rhodey give him his job back, but Rhodey counters with video footage of graphic shapeshifted as him killing Maria Hill. Rhodey takes the bottle of Pappy's, believing they have won the you know, arguments as Fury leaves, but as we learn outside, the liquor was laced with nano trackers. Which Fury literally tells him. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I love that. He's toasting them. <laughs> Once again, I mean, both these actors have great chemistry together on screen. When it comes to the reveal of Rhodey being a scroll, I don't think it's really a big surprise to anyone. Um, they've definitely left enough clues at this point. Um, it's just more of a question of like, how long has he been a scroll? Um, you know, have we seen scroll Rhodey in the past and just not known it? Like, was he a scroll during, like, the entire Infinity Saga, you know, or, like, at least, like, Civil War, you know, through, like, Endgame? I think part of me wants that to be true. Um, you know, the sick, twisted part of me, I guess. <laughs> but that would just cheapen so many, like, you know, big character moments for Rhodey that, I don't know. I don't think that's the case at all. Like, I could see it maybe being as far back as, you know like Falcon of the Winter Soldier. Like maybe, you know, Rhodey in the museum with Sam was actually a scroll the entire time. Like maybe that's a big reveal. Like it has to be like after Endgame. Because like how much would it mm -hmm. suck that like, you know, Rhodey wasn't actually there when Tony like took his last breath, you know? Um, but I mean, that also would be a great story to tell, right? Like, you know, Rhodey wakes up from this like coma and finds out like... <laughs> The blip happened, you know, and his it, like his best friend's dead. Yeah. I mean, that would be a pretty big fucking story to tell. Um, but I don't know. Like once again, like I like I said, it would just totally like cheapen a lot of what we've seen with the character so far. For it to go that far, I feel like I would rather it be a series than just a film, you know, because then we can you know let that shit breathe for a minute. Yeah, I mean, my guess is that he you know was replaced sometime after Endgame, uh, and you know he kind of like manipulated his way up the ranks to be like, you know, the president's right-hand man. Um, I feel like that probably makes the most sense. And that's probably going to be what Armor Wars is all about. You know, like Rhodey waking up and clean up the mess that the scroll is left of his life. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day 
day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now back to our breakdown. We move on to Rhodey's next location as they greet the president who's arrived here in Europe. The motorcade you know, moves out to head towards a summit, but Gravik and his men arrive in helicopters firing missiles at the president, and speaking in Russian of course as they attack. The president's van flips as Gravik and the company proceed to attack, while Fury and Talos see the fire coming from the other side where the motorcade was and move in. Fury goes on to take out a helicopter as Gravik pushes forward. Talos and Fury then quicken their pace to make their way over to the president, in which Gravik starts going super scroll to close the gap using Groot's tentacle ability. So this is the moment where I feel like the series has gotten a little too big for its budget, because it's like too much of a leap of logic for me that Fury wouldn't like call in an Avenger, right? Or the mm, Avengers well, yeah. to protect <laughs> the president, especially knowing that like the team has been infiltrated you know, by Rhodey. Um, and maybe you could play it off where Fury wouldn't know necessarily who he can trust. But, I mean, come on. Like, he's got this, you know, you know, ultra-powerful superhero team, like, at his disposal. And he's trying to protect the president so World War III doesn't happen. You're not going to call Sam and Bucky, right? I mean... I don't know, man. Like, I understand what the writers are trying to do. And, like, this happens in the comics all the time where it's like, well, where the fuck were the Avengers here? You know, while this, like, alien invasion's happening in mm. New York. But at least you always have, like, that throwaway line where, like, oh, they're off planet fighting the Kree, right? I feel like they needed at least a line of dialogue with, like, Fury contemplating calling in backup you know, for me to kind of deal with this moment. Because, like, we're talking World War Three, 
you know, and Fury knowing that there's a million fucking scrolls on this planet now. You can't tell me that Fury wouldn't see this as like an Avenger sized problem. I was also laughing at the fact that, you know, it seems that the motorcade, you know, had very little to actually protect them from something like a missile attack when we know, you know, Stark technology exists in this world. And, yeah. you know, we've seen other like group, smaller groups than this. And once you again, know, utilize that stuff. that's a problem that they could have right around, you know, if they wanted mm. to, where like Rhodey, like, calls off like half the security force or something like that yeah you know that's something easily solved by just writing you know it just has to be a one-off line and that's it you know like it also could have everyone at the motorcade could have been a scroll like everyone in that mission could have been like if that if that's how i would do it if i was graphic i would have had them infiltrate and had all of the guards but then as a writer be. then you have fury and talos with a bazooka against an army of scrolls <laughs> right an army of super scrolls uh -huh. so that doesn't necessarily work either like I you guess. know i mean i guess we could still get that line somewhere you know where you know someone's like why the fuck didn't you call the avengers or or why didn't the president have better security i guess that could get explained away but because we didn't get those couple lines of dialogue you know, prior to this scene, it kind of took me out of the moment um, because I just kept on scratching my head, like, you know, where the fuck are the Avengers? <laughs> or you're right, like, you know, why isn't there better security around the president? <laughs> uh -huh. It just feels like a case of the show getting, like, too big for its britches. You know, if that makes any sense. Talos at the flipped van begins trying to break through the bulletproof glass, but Gravik has his right hand focused on stopping Talos, in which he in which Talos gets shot right in the shoulder, causing Talos to begin, you know, losing control of his shape-shifting ability. Luckily, the soldiers listen luckily the American soldiers there listen to Fury as they let him continue to try and break free the president. However, after Fury gets the president in his Range Rover, Gravik disguised as a US troop brings Talos over and then stabs him in front of Fury. And as Fury tries to gun down Gravik, he quickly finds out what other abilities Gravik has attained as Extremis begins immediately healing him. Fury, with no other options, quickly escapes with the president, regretfully leaving Talos behind and most likely for dead. I really hope Talos isn't dead. It just feels like such a waste of the character because he got like absolutely no closure whatsoever. You know, especially between him and Fury, that just feels like there's so much more story there. Um, you know, let alone him and his daughter, right? Um, if he had to die, it almost makes more sense for it to be, you know, one of the humans on um, the president's security team. You know, the one who actually, like, you know, holds up the gun once he sees Talos's true form. Like... You know, have him pull the trigger because, you know, then the moment's more about like, and this is the cynic in me, but like Talos's unearned trust in the human race, you know, and how like beat himself <laughs> <laughs> and how once he shows his true skin, that's what costs him his life, you know, and his cause. Um, but maybe I'm just having a bad day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's obviously not the story that they want to tell because that's pretty dark. No, this, this is Marvel. Right. MCU It's not going to go that dark. But like, once again, like, why would you trust these fucking humans? Why would you think any of this would work? Tell us. <laughs> He's a hopeful guy. Oh, I my to tell God. You. He's fucking delusional is what he is. <laughs> but because there's so much meat on the bone when it comes to, like, you know, Talos' story, I feel like 
this isn't the end of him. I feel like they're going to find a way to bring him back. But do you do you feel like two fake outs is too much? No, I mean, that back is true. I mean, two fake outs like that back to back, you know, your audience is going to revolt against you. I didn't think of that. So, um, man, that fucking sucks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great character. They had a lot of chemistry with uh, Nick Fury and everything. I just I don't I, I can't I can't imagine them bringing him back right now. I just really hope that they make his death like mean something then because it felt like they're going that route with a uh, hill and like Fury hasn't even mentioned her the last two episodes. Like we have that great moment between Fury and Hill where it seems like it's going to really like motivate Fury. But that was it pretty much. You know, I mean, we still got two episodes left, but mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I don't feel like we're going to, you know, unless she's you know still alive. You know, which, hey, fine. You know, I like the character. So. <laughs> um, if she comes out of the shadows from somewhere, it would be a little a little annoying. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's kind of like the spy genre, though, right? Where you get fake outs like that all the time. <laughs> uh-huh. But I don't know, like my annoyance that her death was completely pointless uh, might outweigh a, a, a cheap, like, you know, fake out death at this point. But I'm just annoyed with this series right now. So, <laughs> um, I mean, they, we still have two episodes to go. So maybe the writers make this all work, you know, by the end. I just can't help but see like a wasted opportunity, though, when it comes to like this story with the scrolls like infiltrating Earth. Like mm-hmm. this just feels like it should be on a grander stage. Um like, I love a good spy thriller, don't get me wrong, but, like, this story is bigger than that genre, almost. Um, like, if this was a case of Fury trying to stop the scrolls from infiltrating the government, I think I'd be on board. But the fact that, like, the scrolls have already infiltrated the government and also the Avengers... <laughs> I feel like the scope of that kind of story is too big for what this series can offer. Because you have this alien race that can disguise itself as any of us, even our heroes, and they're a million strong on Earth, you know, and they've infiltrated like every facet of our government. (laughs) It just feels like this story should be taking place on a grander stage. And it's not, and that's kind of disappointing. Um, Like, if this was leading to, you know, a a big film, that'd be cool. I mean, there's so many different ways they could have built up this story um, to make it into, like, the next big event. Um, So it it just feels like a waste to me. Um, And I can't, like, shake that feeling, you know, right now. And hopefully, like, the next two episodes, you know, helps me get over that. Because, like I said, I mean, the writing's been great. The performances have Mm -hmm. been great. It's almost like the lack of vision and budget, you know, that's really hurting the series. Because how great would it have been if, like, all of a sudden, like, at the end of Miss Marvel, like, we find out one of the characters is a scroll or any of the series. And then you kind of, like, drop little breadcrumbs throughout all the other MCU series. And then you Mm -hmm. have this big moment with, like you know, a, a reveal of another character like Rhodey being a scroll, and you find out, oh, you know, there's 
you know, scrolls amongst us and, you know, there's a whole conspiracy to take over the Earth and, you know, then it becomes an Avenger level type of event. It could have been its own yeah. saga if it really wanted to, but this kind of feels like they're just like milking a cash cow and, you know, telling a story that, you know, there's some intrigue there, but for me, not enough. And I mean, that was the issue I had with the original like comic book event series. Um, and that had a much bigger scope, but the payoff at the end of the day wasn't worth the buildup that we got. So I don't know. I mean, I agree. They could have easily made this the next, like a big Avengers, you know, chapter. Um, if they had wanted to and really spread things out before we got to, you know, rushing to Secret Wars and Kang Dynasty. Because, I mean, yeah, it does feel like, hey, we're doing two big Avengers films back to back when, you know, a story like this could have taken up multiple projects, multiple yes. films and different things. Uh, so I, I am disappointed on that grade. I mean, on, on that level, but at the same time, I'm still enjoying what we've been getting as a series um, so far, I, I, just, because, just because of the great writing and performances. Uh, hopefully they, do, as you said, stick the landing, though. See, I think my problem is I'm even taking umbrage with the writing, you know, like, like I like the dialogue that the characters are saying, but like the plot itself has so many holes that I'm just like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> like once again. The president possibly getting assassinated by an alien race is an Avengers size event. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's when you start like making phone calls, Fury, you know, mm -hmm. not afterwards. Like if we didn't have World War Three at stake, like if that wasn't what the story revolved around. I'd be okay with it. If this was just kind of a spy thriller about, you know, the scrolls infiltrating the government then that's cool. But like, it's just like they bit it off more than they can chew here mm -hmm. with what the restraints of the budget really dictate. Um, but I don't know. Maybe that's just me. And like, I could be singing a completely different tune after two fantastic final episodes. So who knows? I I'll let it play out. But all right, tune in next week to see if Secret Invasion wins back Damon. <laughs> And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHOW for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The beard hedger is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? 
Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manholes. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below-the-waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. In what has been a never-ending saga of suspense, this week Microsoft has gotten its biggest win yet when a California judge rules in favor of the Activision Blizzard deal, with Microsoft claiming to be fair for the next 10 years, bringing titles to both PlayStation and Nintendo, especially Call of Duty, the judge seems to you know, think that that's enough for this deal to go through. Obviously, one day Microsoft will make games like Call of Duty exclusive, why wouldn't they? But for now, we're going to see a new era begin here as some of the largest titles in the multiplayer scene are now officially under the Xbox banner. You know, we predicted that this deal was probably going to go through since the beginning. Uh, you know, I never had a doubt in my mind that eventually this would happen. And personally, as someone who, you know, enjoys the Call of Duty experience, but still gets bored of the game, you know, from time to time, I don't really want to drop 60 to 70 bucks on a new, you know, Call of Duty title. It just doesn't feel worth it to me. So having something like that on Game Pass definitely is something I'm personally interested in. And I also believe it would, you know, add immense value to the service, uh, if made possible, of course. But we'll see what happens. Um, you know, there's still some other clearances that has to go through. But with this big victory, you have to imagine it's just going to be a domino effect until we finally see all the games showing up here on Game Pass at some point. You have to imagine PlayStation is fuming right now, but who knows? But speaking of PlayStation, um, the composer for The Last of Us Part Two, um, Gustavo Santalala. I think that's how you say his name. He claims that a director's cut for the sequel is in the works and may actually be coming soon. Um, after the you know booming sales that we got for The Last of Us Part One after the HBO series, you have to imagine Sony is looking for another big score here with season two, and will hopefully have another version of the game ready for you to purchase by the time the show is coming out. But that's mostly my assumption of what they're trying to do here. Um, personally, I still haven't gotten a chance to play the second game myself. Uh, I've watched the entire story played out but i haven't played it and this might be a good chance for me to jump in on it um, and finally play it uh, myself i would love to play it around the time that the second season comes out so i'd be you know excited to see where that goes the series was fantastic it's currently up for like what 25 emmys i'm imagining that they're gonna win a few at least at that event uh but other than that for as far as my streaming side of the show um my weekend has definitely gotten a lot busier than i thought it was going to be especially with a lot of um, recording issues that we had this week pushing stuff back 
so I'm probably not gonna be able to go live Saturday or Sunday I'm most likely not gonna be able to go live on Monday either so we're probably just gonna have to do some makeup streams maybe starting on um, Tuesday or Wednesday we'll you know do some extra streams before the upcoming weekend to make up for the you know missing streams that we are having this week uh, I do apologize about that but it is just a very hectic weekend for me and it's just not gonna work out but when we do go live we will be continuing on with our AEW fight forever playthrough um, of the you know story mode we're gonna be continuing on with a new wrestler this time as we just finished up our time with S. Jade Cargill. I'm thinking about making like a like baby face like John Cena type character for the game. But other than that, we're going to continue on with Horizon Forbidden West. I think I'm getting pretty close towards the end of the game, at least the um, final chapters of the main story. Um, I still have to do the DLC as well, so there's plenty of adventure still to go. Um, tons of side missions that I haven't completed yet, so there's still a ton we can do with that game. But I'll probably be playing both these games through the summer. Um, until we get towards uh, Starfield and all that, which is only like seven weeks away. But if you want in on any of this gaming content, then all you got to do is stop by our Twitch channel and leave a follow today. But with that said, let's go ahead and move on to... You shut at my nosebone and you extorted me for my championship. Look at me, Kenny! I'm the fifth member and now you pay the price. Wow, he yeah. is the fifth member. I mean, and Pac is dangerous under under normal circumstances now with revenge on his oh mind God. from that best of oh, seven oh my series. Oh my God. He's, he's going to break Kenny's neck. Any last words for your Canadian friends, Kenny, before blood and guts? When that smile is ripped off your face permanently. <laughs> we'll do this, guys. <laughs> yeah. We still... We still have a fifth member too. Uh, check the screen. Well, Christian, unfortunately, I spent a lot of time this episode ranting and raving about Secret Invasion, so we don't have tons of time <laughs> to talk AEW this week. Uh, but before we go, we did want to make mention that there are two huge stories broken by Fightful this week. According to Fightful, uh, Warner Brothers is extremely happy with AEW. Uh, and insiders expect a big contract increase money-wise for AEW. Um, but with that comes uh, Warner Brothers wanting more pay-per-views from AEW uh, to the point of maybe even monthly pay-per-views. Uh, mm. Now, this might be featured on Max, their streaming service, but there isn't really any clarification at this point. And once again, this is all rumors. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Fightful is usually pretty good with their sources, so I'm going to take this, you know, with a grain of salt, but I could definitely see this being the case. And we've talked about it before. I do believe that, you know, AEW only having four true pay-per-views a year has hurt the product booking wise because it always feels like they're kind of having to stretch out storylines way too long um, over their expiration date just to kind of get to like you know the next pay-per-view you know three months down the line yeah um, way too long i mean even with this like bloated roster there are a lot of like big matches we haven't seen yet because of you know this factor uh so i'm all for more pay-per-views i don't know if i want 12 though necessarily i could see like eight um you know being kind of the sweet spot for AEW, but 
once again, it's not my money. Like if Warner Brothers yeah. is willing to pay for it <laughs> and if they're putting it on. But once again, it's not my money. Well, I guess it is if I have to pay for, you know, 12 pay-per-views. But I mean, if Warner Brothers is willing to like, you know, put it on Max and it's something that just comes with a subscription, then I'm all for it. I mean, it is what it is. I'm sure Tony Khan could, you know, make it work. It will uh, definitely dilute kind of like the uh, special event type, you know, dynamites that we've come like accustomed to over the years. Like, I feel like an episode like Blood and Guts would end up being kind of like a pay-per-view event. Yeah. Um, But I'm okay with that. I mean, that feels like it should be a pay-per-view event, honestly. I mean, I personally am against 12 pay-per-views a year just because I, I as much as I feel like it would be good for them to like rotate more wrestlers into like title picture scenes and stuff like that and would be able to get more people in different types of programs uh, i i just feel like they still need some time to breathe between because i don't want to be back at that wwe schedule where i have to you know see a pay-per-view at the end of every single month but that might just be me i know a lot of fans out there are you know clamoring for more and more out of AEW. but i mean once again AEW's roster is a lot bigger than wwe's at this point mm-hmm. at least the, the wrestlers that they feature so i do feel like you kind of like rotate roster wise throughout those pay-per-views so like wrestlers won't end up getting stale and like you know storylines won't end up getting stale i I do feel like we will end up getting more rematches um you know more like trilogy series but at the same time i do feel like some of their feuds have warrant you know trilogy series Mm -hmm. and they haven't gotten them in the past because of the pay-per-view schedule so um i don't know I don't know. Like, I feel like eight, once again, is the sweet spot. Like, I'd be cool with eight. Um, You know, 12 might be stretching it too thin, and it does get a little exhausting. I agree. Um, But I don't know. Once again, like, if it means, like, AEW gets financial security, um, which I'm sure they already have with, you know, Tony Khan's family's money. But, Uh I mean, if it means, like, the company is, you know, thriving, I'm all for it, honestly. But anyway, moving on, uh, the other big uh, story that was broken by Fightful was a list that was sent out to the wrestlers of band moves and safety guidelines. Uh, I'm going to do a whole lot of reading, so bear with me. Okay, uh, this, okay. <laughs> this new list of band moves include unprotected chair shots to the head, which I feel like was already a thing, uh, chair shots to the back of the head. Which, once again, I feel like that was already a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Buckle bombs. Um, moves where wrestlers fall backwards into the turnbuckle. Uh, imitating concussions or seizure symptoms. I'm looking at you, Daniel Bryan. Um, <laughs> uh, spitting and bleeding while in the crowd. <laughs> uh, so there goes basically uh, anarchy in the arena, right? Um, using weapons and projectiles in the crowd. Uh, once again, I feel like, I don't know, it, it almost feels like, you know, with Anarchy Arena just taking place, like, did something happen? Right? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's definitely not the safest environment type of right? match. Um, taking food and drinks from fans in the crowd, that's that's definitely addressing MJF. Oh, yeah. After that beer incident with the with the kid. Yeah, like he poured hard alcohol on like a eight year old or something. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then making contact with fans in the crowd, um, which I feel like should already been banned. 
you know, um, maybe they just need to have it on paper, but it just feels like common sense. It invites too much like return from like the fans exactly. to, well, to accidentally hurt your and wrestlers. And when you're in a giant crowd like that performing, you don't know what kind of nutballs could be like surrounding you. So it, it's like a safety issue for the wrestlers. Um, so yeah, it's better safe than sorry at the end of the day. Now, with all that being said, though, I, I do feel like once again, like a lot of these moves um, were already banned. Because when was the last time we saw like an actual unprotected chair shot to the head? I think Cody Rhodes or something like that. What, or it was something with uh, yeah, Matt Hardy. That was like one yeah. of AEW's first pay-per-views, right? That was him against yeah. uh, Sean Spears. So and even that chair was supposed to be gimmicked. He just like caught him with the mm-hmm. edge, supposedly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's really the only one I can think of. So I don't know. Like, I mean, I've seen lots of buckle bombs. I will say that. Like the buckle bomb spot. You know, I've definitely seen it on AEW TV, but I don't know. A lot of these things just feel like, you know, common sense. Now, when it comes to the moves and spots that need to be approved by the coaches and producers, um, the list is pretty substantial. Uh, (laughs) Let's go through it. Uh, Spots and bumps on the ring apron and outside. Uh, Table, ladder and chair spots in and out of the ring only allowed with padding. Uh, any elevated spots outside of the barricades, dives and ladder spots on stage, around the arena, and other places outside of the ring. Um, all pile drivers and tombstone variations, including sit-down drivers, inverted position, hurricanas, and vertebrakers, uh, high-risk dives or top rope moves, 450, 630, double moonsaults, <laughs> moon and etc., Intentional bleeding of any sorts, not just blading, uh, throwing people into or through or over the ring steps, commentary table, bell table, and guardrails, uh, weapon usage, uh, chairs, pipes, uh, kendo sticks, hammers, ring bells, bats, chains, etc., title belts, thumbtacks, skewers, barbed wire, like... I feel like this should have been like on the list of things that needed to be approved in the first place. Um, <laughs> like, how isn't that on your pre-approval list from day one? Um, choking and strangling with hands or weapons or hanging spots, injury spots or angles, whether or not medical is involved or needs to be called to the ring, any physicality in the crowd or crowd brawling. Uh, and any physicality involving referees, managers, extras, celebrities, or special guests. Um, I'm a little confused about the uh, medical where one. you'd have like an mean? injury angle take place in a match, and then like the medical staff has to come out and like you know wheel you out. Um, I'm guessing that's what that means. But I guess gotcha. you know whether or not you need you know the medical staff to come out. They still want it to be pre-approved if you're doing like an injury angle of some sort. And I'm sure I guess I always figured those are actors. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I I think, you know, when they're saying like, even if you don't need medical personnel, I'm guessing getting approval is more of like, so your medical personnel doesn't think something's actually wrong. Mm, You know, so they're not like rushing to the ring. I mean, honestly, besides the moves themselves, I feel like. A lot of this should have been like something that the wrestlers needed approval for in the first place, like day one. Mm-hmm. So it's a little astounding to me that 
like they didn't need to get approval to like blade or <laughs> to fight in the crowd and shit like that because even like from a production standpoint how nerve-wracking would it be to like have the wrestlers go completely off script or like you'll know, do something that you're not prepared to like you know film that's got to be incredibly stressful. And it probably explains a lot of the production issues we've seen in the past. Yes, like a lot of like missed spots, like camera wise and mm -hmm. everything. I think what it really boils down to is like, you can do all this stuff, but we need to know about it, you mm -hmm. know, and it needs to make sense within the confines of the show. Um, I think, you know, having this stuff actually get approved ahead of time will help with a lot of the like redundancy issues. That they have, you know, storytelling wise, you know, and within the matches, especially um, because how many times do we see similar like angles, you know, happen on the same show um, or like very similar spots? Um, like if you're going to have weapons being used in the main event, it's probably a good idea not to have weapons featured in three matches, you know, beforehand, right? Because then it really kind of like weakens its effect, exactly. Um, you know, or when it comes to just like move, like if you're going to have someone get hit by like multiple pile drivers and kick out in the first match, but then have the finish of the main event being someone getting pinned after a pile driver. I mean, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> it totally makes the guy who gets pinned by the pile driver look weak. You yeah. know, if you have Joe Schmo kicking out of you know four or five pile drivers earlier in the day so I, mean, I get it i think it'll go a long way to kind of streamline the storytelling that we're seeing like within the ring and at the same time get rid of like the repetitive nature of you know some of the things that we see weekly on AEW, because i do feel like that tends to water down the product like there's nothing that bothers me more than when i see Especially like, and I, and I hope I don't. I know this wasn't necessarily covered. Where I see one person getting, you know, a submission where they have to do the arm three times, and then later on, I see a ref stoppage. Yes, uh, it's completely separately and different. Yes, it, it, and that does <laughs> need to be streamlined too, like yes. the actual rules, <laughs> because like it seems like that's all probably up to the discretion of the wrestlers putting together the match. No, yeah. I totally get it. Because, like, why is one ref following a different set of rules than another ref on the same card on the same show? You know, mm -hmm. like, why is one ref giving a wrestler the count of three before, you know, he calls for the bell, you know, while they're in a submission, while another ref is just making the call on his own? You know, you're right. Like, one ref's following UFC rules, another ref's following, you know, 1980s <laughs> WF rules. So uh -huh. <laughs> I think I'm just more taken aback once again that like a lot of these things w didn't need approval in the past. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like you would think anytime a weapon's used, like, you know, someone would have to sign <laughs> off on it. Um, you know, it's just it's just odd to me. Like if someone's going to blade, you would think Tony would have to know about it. <laughs> Just a little bit more Wild Wild West than we yes. anticipated, and I, I guess. guess it kind of takes away the independence of the artists and everything. And and yeah. I know there's a lot of wrestlers who kind of like to call things on the fly, um, you know, and get a feel for the crowd. But, I mean, you're running a fucking TV show here. It's not like the cast of Friends can just ad-lib all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
there's got to be some guidelines like here too. So um, I think overall, this is going to help the product tremendously. Um, and like, once again, like this stuff isn't banned. And I'm sure like if they get approval and as long as like, you know, their moves and like spots that aren't being done at nauseum throughout, you know, the show, like they'll get the okay to do them. Um, but this will just help communication overall. And once again, get rid of that redundancy issue that AAW has a lot of times, you know, and then like some of them, it's just common sense, you know, safety guidelines that, you know, they mm-hmm. should have been following from the get go. Um, and they might've been, and it, this is more of a case of them just getting it on paper, but it, it is what it is. But of course, the internet made it seem like the sky was fucking falling and like, you know, ECW was turning into WCW or something. It was like, relax, exactly. people. Relax. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's always the end of the I world. And I don't know like how much of this had to do with like their contract negotiations. Like, is this an edict, you know, coming down from Warner Brothers? Because it does sound like they do have a lot of say. Um, according to, you know, some inside people when it comes to the product as a whole, um, to the point of like, I, I, someone mentioned, I believe it was on Fightful and I could be wrong, but someone mentioned that like, it's to the point of like, you know, who's actually featured on the shows because for a long time, like I couldn't wrap my head around something like, you know, Tony Khan only allowing one women's match per dynamite. Now I'm kind of wondering if this is actually an edict put on him by Warner Brothers, you know, like because I know he has to hear the criticism, right? And it's not a good look for the company. But is it like some executives from Warner Brothers, you know, handing down some kind of like rule, you know, like looking at the ratings maybe and saying, okay, we only want one one woman's match, you know, per show. Sounds like a David Slaslov move. Right. Because otherwise (laughs) you would think like how easy would it be for Tony to answer critics and feature like, you know, like once a month, two women's matches, you know, on an Mm. episode of Dynamite. Like and that problem would just go away. But, you know, still to this day, four years in, it's one per episode, which is just absolutely archaic and ridiculous. But I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I guess we'll probably never really know, right? <laughs> because, I mean, AEW is not a publicly traded company, so they don't really have to answer to anyone. Um, <laughs> because we still have no idea, like, you know, does Warner Brothers have, like, a financial stake in the company itself? Um, that's something that a lot of people have been questioning of late. So, I mean, it's not a WCW situation where, like, Turner just outright owned WCW. But, I mean... But maybe Warner Brothers is investing, you know, some money financially into the company, which gives them some credence and say in what AEW presents on TV. Um, I mean, and they're also on their channel, you know, so obviously they have some say, but it just mm-hmm. feels like it's more than we realize. I mean, look at the Briscoe situation, right? Because that made no fucking sense whatsoever. Definitely an edict handed down by Warner Brothers. You know, even though they allowed AEW to have Mike Tyson on their show. So, I mean. Good point, yeah. yes. <laughs> it's just insane. So, um, but that's pretty much all the time we have. Um, we didn't even get a chance to talk about uh, the fifth members being named for the Blood and Guts teams. Uh, I mean, we all kind of figured that Ibushi was going to be part of the elite. But uh, how did you feel about Pac? 
I, I wasn't expecting Peck, but I'm excited. You know, he'll be a great member for that I'm group. Just, I'm just glad it wasn't Jericho. So. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where I felt like Tony was, like, having Jericho be the red herring. Uh, <laughs> mm. So we're excited for Pack. I mean, we all know that that wasn't in the plans. Originally, it was supposed to be fucking Brian. But, you know, unfortunately, he broke the hell out of his arm. So, um it is what it is. I mean, Pack is a great replacement and he'll, you know, do nothing but be a highlight reel, you know, in a blood and guts situation. So oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it should be a fun match. But unfortunately, like I said, that's all we have time wise to talk about AEW this week. But make sure to join us next week as, you know, we give our full review of blood and guts. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts hoodies stickers and more and if you post what you bought and tag us on social media we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the united states all right make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling my name's christian and my name's david and that was the amazing nerd show Now you've seen how bad things can get and how quick they can get that way. Well, they can get a whole lot worse. So we're not going to fight anymore. We're going to pull together and we're going to find a way to get out of here. First, we're going to seal off this room.